0: Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes. For insight, advice, and impact. Well, it's been all over the news Nelson Mandela's belongings being auctioned off uh, by his granddaughter, and it's uh, certainly an echo of an ancient Chinese proverb on wealth. And uh, it's that wealth doesn't last beyond three generations. The first generation creates it, the second preserves it, and then the third generation squanders it. Etienne Bassade notes is a wealth manager at Alex Forbes. Uh, Etienne, welcome and all the best for the new year. It's uh, such an important conversation. Once you've built wealth. On how to ensure that um, that intergenerational wealth transfer doesn 't lead to that old saying of the third generation squandering it, why is it so difficult? What is the big challenge here firstly to uh, to establish when it comes to this saying from clogs to clogs in three generations? Hi Michael yeah uh, thanks for having me on the show And uh, the best for twenty twenty four for you as well. Well,
1: I think the two major contributing factors to the third generation destruction of intergenerational wealth can very likely be contributed to the first most primary reason is they were never involved in the creation of this wealth, not even most likely from an observer point of view. So they have no attachment to this. They have no sense of value, no sense of achievement or the effort it took to put this together for them. It just came too easy. And that ties into the second factor, which is their upbringing most likely these people are raised in luxury where they get what they want on demand without a lot of effort on their part because the wealth is available and we all like to make our lives easier for our children. So it's very much a human nature sort of scenario, but thereby we create this monster in the third generation which does not attach value to this intergenerational wealth created by someone.
0: And I think in that, uh, you've touched on the germs of... Solutions. I mean, if you're if you're fortunate enough as a family to be in a position where you've built a family business into something that can be passed on to the next generation, it's really important to try and include the next generation uh, as early as possible and also to ensure that you structure your affairs in such a way that it doesn't make things too easy for for your children. You know, there, there's got to be some sense of of the work that's gone into building um, a business and I often look at the the Rupert empire as a probably a really good example of how that happened through you know Anton Rupert so when it was back in the 40s through tobacco and then how they diversified that through Johann Rupert into other areas so how do you guide families then in in striking a balance here between obviously wanting to provide the best for their children and their children's children, but also ensuring that they understand the value of what's been created. Michael, in order to preserve wealth across different generations,
1: it's absolutely imperative that a long-term legacy plan is created, executed, and as you very clearly said, communicated to the next generation. And communication remains key in this concept. If Generation 3 understands and accepts the responsibility and the value of this legacy plan, they will buy into it and they will adhere to its tenets. If they do not, it's simply not going to make any difference. So you can create the best possible plan out there, but if they don't buy into it, support it, and actually execute it according to the plan, it's worth not even the paper it's written on. So family meetings, I think, is really, really important where the, the plan is actually discussed and adjusted according to the needs of the next generation. Because also keep in mind, you mentioned the Ruperts and tobacco made the fortune and then there was massive diversification by Johan Rupert, which is a very, very good part of this plan. Now, if Johan did not value what his father had built up to that point, and he didn't understand, and did not have the acumen as well as you know the responsibility taken upon himself to say, "I want to make this bigger, better, stronger, and diversify and mm-hmm. change it for the new generation needs." That would have most likely been destroyed as well, very quickly, um, if not by him, by the, by the following generation. As things stand, that generation, next generation, should be okay. Uh, if, you know, from from my point of view, what I can see from that specific family. But, um, you know, there are different structures where one can, you, which one can utilize to make sure that the third generation doesn't destroy everything in one go. There are various ways of utilizing trusts for for this, uh, in, in this instance. You know, SARS have clamped down quite a bit on trust, so they're not as attractive as they used to be in the past. But for specific reasons, you can still utilize a trust very, very efficiently to make sure that, you know, benefit and control of capital is not residing in the same person or at least one person cannot grab hold of all the capital and get rid of it which unfortunately happens quite a bit especially Mm. in family squabbles in third generations where who controls what that becomes very prevalent one person tends to take control and then they start wasting it to their own benefit and the detriment of everybody else so that's also something that one needs to to Mm. keep in mind so um as I mentioned, there are a couple of other ways. I mean, you, you try, uh, uh, registered companies are a way of doing it. And even some products, financial service products, um, like living annuities and endowments, you can utilize those with, for uh, some sort of intergenerational planning just to make sure that make the admin easier and cheaper and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. so basically the biggest benefit of living annuities and endowments on how one can utilize them is cost saving and a very quick access to the capital. Um it doesn't have to go to the executor. So, in other words, if you set up your estate plan correctly, uh, beneficiaries on endowments and living annuities can be directly nominated. So that means they don't wait for the winding up of the estate, which is a massive issue in South Africa at the moment, where beneficiaries of estates need to utilize certain assets in order to survive until the estate gets wound up. Now, With a living annuity specifically, there's massive tax advantages in taking that capital as a lump sum across into a new living annuity, 100% tax-free if you move the capital across. You only get taxed on the income that you take afterwards, and that is capped at 17.5%. Now, that's a very easy way if that person elects to have the capital transferred to get 100% 100% of the capital invested in their name and then decide on the long-term plan on their own living annuity so the capital can be preserved to a, to a large ex- extent. With endowments, sort of the same scenario can apply, but um, you still have access to the capital, but at least the ease of admin is very, very relevant in, in endowments.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are, are you finding that the master's office is, is just becoming increasingly bogged down and dysfunctional uh, when you refer to some of those challenges uh, when it comes to winding up of estates?
1: I'll put it to you like this. I'm very happy that I don't deal directly with estates. We have service providers that um, we have um, at Alex Forbes that we refer our clients to to assist, Um, even our own fiduciary services department. I'm not directly involved. I advise from the side, and I'm very happy to be in that position.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I hear terrible things, sadly, about the master's office. Now, coming back to uh, trusts, I know the… the, uh, the complexity of tax laws is one thing, but I know that SARS did try and clamp down on using uh, trusts to, to shield the beneficial owners or, or to uh, use as a loophole to, to get out of paying tax. So would you say the, the, the best um, advantages of trusts are not necessarily in, in the tax component, but in the ability to then direct what happens to those assets after one is gone and, and in use in these kinds of structures? Yes, I fully agree with your statement. SALS have clamped down on the, the tax benefits to a very large
1: extent. It is possible to peg your estate. I mean, if you, for argument's sake, donate the whole of your estate today to your trust, you're going to pay the 20% uh, donations tax, but you pay it at today's value. If you die 20 years from now, that trust is, those trust assets have grown over the last 20 years, and that New asset value does not form part of your estate because you've already paid the estate duty or the donations tax, which uh, um, replaces the estate duty at a prior date at a lower value. So there's still some that tax benefit, but um, definitely the control aspect and the access to capital, that is the most
0: beneficial aspect of utilizing a trust for intergenerational planning. Absolutely. And then we've got, uh, there's a whole lot of Latin when it comes to financial planning in the space, Cetus, uh, which is uh, Latin for position or site, uh, because on death, South African residents are liable for estate duty based on their worldwide assets. Uh, How does this come into play when advising uh, wealthy families on Um, managing their financial affairs. Often when you're talking about uh, a family at this level, they do have assets uh, not just here in South Africa, but all over the world.
1: Yeah, very true. All of those assets will be included in South Africa for estate duty purposes, definitely, if they are on you know assets belonging directly to the individual. Um, once again, there are different ways of utilising trusts and companies and even offshore trusts to reduce the uh, estate duty liability in that sense. Um, just one more aspect that I just wanted to mention to you regarding the tax benefit of utilising a trust for intergenerational planning. Keep in mind, we refer to Generation 1 through through to Generation 2 of the donations tax being applicable and then Gen 2 getting the trust. But from Gen 2 to Gen 3, there's no donations tax, no estate duty, nothing, because it's already part of the trust assets. So then the massive saving comes through in terms of estate duty because there's zero ah. applicable
0: on those assets. Ah, a very important point. And I think on that point, mm. it, and I think what you've uh, just demonstrated is, is the importance of sitting down with a financial planner, with uh, a wealth manager, Uh, to help a family craft a constitution wills plans call it what you will uh, because these things do require very careful forethought if you're not to fall into uh, the the trap of uh, clogs to clogs in three generations thanks so much for your time etienne besaid note wealth manager at uh, alex forbes talking a little bit more about uh, what wealthy families need to consider to ensure that all of that hard work isn't squandered you're listening to classic business classic business with michael avery sponsored by alex forbes for insight advice and impact